0: Welcome, everybody. I hope you had a good lunch. Praise the Lord. Are you enjoying this conference? Amen. it's certainly one of the best ones I've ever been to. (laughs) I'm a little biased. And welcome to everybody watching online, too. We really do appreciate you joining us today. And uh, you're in for another amazing treat. Um, I'm gonna introduce our next speaker in just a second. But I wanted to uh, do something that I meant to do at the end of my session, but we were out of time. I wanted to give you a, a way to respond to the things we're saying. So it's one thing to come in and get stirred up and get fired up and all this, but if you don't have a way to put that into action, then that revelation can just sort of evaporate, can't it? So I've got a really simple thing that I want to I want to give to you. I want to show you. And if you came you probably have received one of these little blue cards. How many of you have got one of these little blue cards? All right. Okay, so the rest of you, either you're not listening or you didn't get one. Am I, did you get one or no? All right. Okay, so if you got one of these, even if you didn't, would you please pick one up the next time you exit and enter the auditorium, would you do that for me? This little card says, Transform Colorado Voter Guide. So Truth and Liberty is, uh, we're we're in the thick of preparing seven regional voter guides in the state of Colorado. We're going to print uh, probably a million, possibly up to a million and a half of these voter guides, and we're going to distribute them in churches across this state. These voter guides are 501 compliant. We don't endorse a candidate, we don't oppose a candidate. All we do is list the Republican and Democrat candidates in the State House and Senate races in those regions and some of the statewide offices, including Governor, Treasurer, Attorney General, uh, U.S. Senate, and some congressional races, and we list several issues where we tell you where do they stand on late-term abortion, where do they stand on higher taxes and fees, where do they stand on Second Amendment rights, and some other issues that are important, and based on research or their response to a survey. I want you to know, church, that printed voter guides in the hands of Christians will increase Christian voter turnout by up to 20%. 20%. That's enough to swing almost any election. And I believe that the average Christian, you guys tell me if you agree with me, I think the average Christian wants to vote, but the reason they don't vote, like in all these local elections and everything like that, is because they don't know who to vote for. They don't know what these people stand for. I mean, the average person in the pew doesn't even know who their senator or rep is. So if we can get a a voter guide in their hands that doesn't tell them what to do, but gives them the information they need to make a decision according to biblical values, then we're gonna see truth enter into the public square and make a difference. But here's what we need from you guys. We need people who will volunteer to say, Richard, I I will distribute your voter guide at my church, all right? All you have to do is is sign up, and then we'll get in touch with you and find out how many guides do you need. Your job is to get with your pastor and say, Pastor, I'd like to pass these out. These are 501c3 compliant. They're reviewed by a constitutional law attorney who practices at the U.S. Supreme Court to make sure they're legal and give these to our people uh, on October 9th and 16th on Sundays just before ballots come out. And that's all we need. And if you're willing to do that, that's one really, really powerful and important way that you can make a difference in our culture. So all you have to do is put your camera, point it at this QR code, hit the yellow box. It'll take you right to our website where you can sign up. How's that sound? All right, praise the Lord. Okay, so I know Lance was here. Oh, there he is. All right, praise God. Well, guys, here is... uh, I don't know what to call you, America's prophet. But (laughs) (laughs) we're so excited to have you, Lance. Uh, Put your hands together, everybody. Let him know he's welcome.
1: Well, I have to say this. The person that put me up to speak after lunch, clearly, was no friend of mine anyway. It's the toughest job, people. Look, there's still people lollygagging around. And there's so much content at an event like this. I mean, my, listen, I'm a content machine. I need, I'm a two whiteboard kind of guy, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm even swimming in the information. I believe this is, do you know when, when you're, David Barton said it, when you're in, an awakening historically, you don't know it. Because it's not like you say, oh, it's the first great awakening. Because the dates for the first great awakening were fixed by historians after it ended. The dates for the second great awakening were fixed by historians after it ended. We could very well be in the midst of a great awakening right now and not know it while we're trying to pray for an awakening. And later on, they'll look back and say, well, here were some of the key actors and sectors that were working that make up the history of the tapestry of the movement that challenged the agenda that was taking over the West. And this meeting here will be listed as one of those meetings. And the problem with a lot of information I mean, I liked it so much. I, I told Mario and Eric Metaxas to stay at London. They were going to come out and hear me. I want them to stay back there and keep talking. Because, a little secret, I have a, I misunderstood the schedule. So I gave everything I wanted to say in one long message. <laughs> which basically means that right now, I said what I wanted to say. Was there anyone here that wasn't at that message? There, there, there. I see that hand, I see that hand. All uh, right, where were you? Uh, someone came clean over here, I just sat right next to them. I'm writing my notes and they go, I wasn't at your meeting the other night because Mario wanted us to go out to dinner. I go, Mario wasn't here, he took you out to dinner? Now, oh, I'm getting some notes now and thank you. Anyway, the, uh, but, but here's the point. When you get a lot of information, and I know this must happen to you. You get, ever get a revelation? The moment you get it, you realize you're going to have to layer that. Meditate upon it. Think about it. It's, just, it's not just once and done. You have to kind of engraft that, right? And that's the problem with great meetings. You get so much information, you get overwhelmed by so much revelation. I mean, I've done it. I know I've done it. Mostly out of insecurity. I don't think I have something to say, so I say more than people can handle. And they laughed when he said it, which made him think maybe he still does it. <laughs> but the, uh, the reality is, I think, I, I listened to Bill Federer for the first time. I have a theory about this. My theory is you don't really get to know somebody by the Spirit till you see them function in the grace gift that God gave them. So I, there's a lot of people I know that I don't know. I like them, they're friends. But now if I can ever hear you get up and do what God called you to do, I know you by the Spirit. That's when I really knew you. And very seldom do I get it without that. But listen, I saw Bill on Truth and Liberty and I've seen him on various other programs. I thought, oh, that's great. But I didn't get him till today. And I got him so much today, I thought, I really need to have him. I don't need to take his material. I agree with his material. I like the way he presents his material. I like the PowerPoint approach and all that. I like the fact that he's got a way of being very clear and concise. There's no ambiguity, it's not, I mean, it's really clean, clear, connects and moves on to the next slide. I wanna see him more often doing stuff with, with the movement. And what I wanna talk about now is uh, the reconfiguring of the body of Christ. So that we can come together in the in the wineskin that God is creating. See, Richard Harris is Richard. There you are. I got you today. Now, most of the time that you're you're on Truth and Liberty, there again. I'm with you in meetings. But I heard you today. How many of you like caught what he had? And I realized something. I realized that I need Richard Harris. I need you to be doing this as well as giving advice and guidance and keeping the trains on track and keeping us from needless lawsuits. (laughs) Because you see you were preaching back to me a revelation that I had that I departed from because I didn't hear enough other people resonating with it and that will happen I'm sorry I'm not that strong. If I hear something from heaven and it doesn't have Uh, If there isn't an echo of amen from other people, then I don't know if it's the right time for it. I know it's God, but I know it might not be fruitful. There's always meat in due season. I can always get ahead of something. But I got something, and Richard kind of came back and preached it today. And I heard my own vision preaching to me. And I was like, wait a second. Here's what I got. When Donald Trump came on the scene... And I'm not one of those prophets. The other thing is prophets that are prophesying all the time. I'm not saying you can't prophesy all the time. But I wonder if it's really what is going on. Because when God speaks, it's usually a, it's a significant statement. And when he doesn't, it's awful tempting to do filler material, but it's not a good idea. Prophets in the New Testament were teachers as well, and preachers as well as prophesiers. And when we build an audience demand on a gift and the gift has to constantly come up like a Pez dispenser with another prediction or a mysterious layering of mystical words that you read into like a Rorschach test in order to read into what's going on with the news cycle, we're not operating as prophets. And we're beginning to get into an area that is unhealthy for the body of Christ. Prophets ought to be able to teach and preach doctrine just as good as an apostle with a different slant. Prophets and apostles travel together and the prophet's job is not to constantly be saying something about the future. Does that make sense to you? So uh, like Mario, Mario's probably, everybody calls him an evangelist, he calls himself an evangelist, but I'm gonna tell you a little inside track. Mario's a prophet evangelist. Because what he writes about is a prophetic challenge to the nation, to the spirit of the times, to the deception, to the activity. Most, most evangelists are focusing on soul winning subject matter. Now he gets you into the soul winning arena, but he does it with a prophet's uh, gift. And I started thinking, well, wait a second. Isn't that what John the Baptist was? John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And when he preached and declared what was going on, The sinners came to his baptism and they were all confessing their sins in the Jordan. He had an evangelism movement with sinners getting saved and repenting of sins as a prophet. So I see prophets and evangelists combined together in a unique way. And I see that with uh, with Mario. Because the nature of the subject matter he deals with is different than what an evangelist would deal with. It's a prophet evangelist. It's a combined gifting. I mean, I think Andrew, I don't want to get all confused in this stuff, but Andrew clearly is a teacher, but he has to have that apostle thing going because look at the scope of what he's doing. God typically does not give teachers initiatives that are governmental that can shape or shake nations. That's an apostle, that's a teacher who is operating also as an apostle with their primary gift being teaching. Does that make sense to you? So I'm like a prophet teacher. People don't know that because they don't quite know. I prophets like Kim Clement always say, you're different, I can't quite figure out, you're totally a prophet, but I don't It's more like a Daniel thing because I'm not doing sensational calling you out in the aisle and telling you your name or your address, but yet what I'm always doing is I'm always wrestling with global geopolitical realities and predicting things that are about to happen. I just got done talking about you, Mario, so it's good that you're, you're here and I feel... No, you have to defend yourself, you're clear. Although I did get credit for your quote the uh, earlier when uh, the quote was. And I did say the other night that when Biden came out and was uh, projecting on all of us his own, uh, you know, projection of their own guilt. And you said on Flashpoint, you said, it's like Ahab, when he sees Elijah, art thou he that troubleth Israel. The devil will always project on the people of God, the very thing that they're doing and blame you for causing the trouble. But I still got credit for the quote even though I tried to give it away. (laughs) So what I was saying is that in an event like this, there's so much covered that I think it would be not good to do another deluge of fresh content. But I'd rather go back and kind of layer what I was hearing that we need to work on. And I'm far less interested in being interesting and entertaining than I am in trying to tie together some loose ends. All right. So Richard brought something up and it convicted me, as I said, because he reminded me of what I was saying. When Donald Trump came along, I did hear the Lord say, thus says the Lord, the next president will be an Isaiah 45 president. I haven't heard God talking to me that clear and that emphatically all the time since then, but I am starting to hear some more now and it's making me nervous Thus says the Lord, the next president is gonna be an Isaiah 45 president. I go to look up Isaiah 45 and what does it say? Thus says the Lord to Cyrus whom I have anointed. And he talks about Cyrus. Now I had to go back and brush off my Bible history. Cyrus was not a Jew. And this immediately put me into a conundrum. God's telling me the next president of the United States is gonna be an Isaiah 45 president and the guy who God's gonna put his anointing on is not gonna be one of us. Every Christian wants a Christian to be president. They want to Mike Pence, they want Governor Huckabee, they want uh, Carson, they wanna have, uh, uh, you know, Ted Cruz. So they start, all of us wanna see our favorite Christian. This is back then, I'm putting you back then. The only guy that was in that lineup that didn't fit the evangelical scorecard was a heathen from Queens named Donald Trump on his third marriage. But he's the only one who would have been who fit Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to, uh, to, to Cyrus, whom I've anointed. He's going to break through the two lead gates of Babylon. Going to break the, he's going to undo the belts of his adversaries. And then it says, something interesting. Though he knows me not. Now I have another problem. If I heard God correctly, it's Isaiah 45. It's going to be a key to who God is going to put, who he's telling us he's working with. And the worst part of that is he doesn't know God. This is not gonna go down well with the Christian community. And I wonder personally, I'm gonna, I probably have to meditate this before I, I preach it again, but those Christians that have the biggest problem with Donald Trump, I wonder if the great irony is God raised up Donald Trump because of his dissatisfaction with the church. The the very Sanhedrin that finds him offensive is half the target God was agitating when he brought Donald Trump on the scene. Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So God said, if you don't mind, I'll just have to do it a little differently. And this will offend your religious proclivities. I can remember the difficulty leaders had with Donald Trump because he just didn't fit their description Isaiah 45 thus says the Lord to Cyrus whom I've anointed though you do not know me I am doing this for what for the sake of my people Israel which Richard Harris was saying today taking that in and saying hey There's a time in history where the Bible does overlap with a significant moment and I'm just telling you, I did hear God say that to me and I don't hear God all the time so I can be pretty reasonably objective when it's a startling voice and I I think it's the Lord and I'm, I'm gonna say this, God sent us that Cyrus and what did the church do during its four years when it had a friend in the White House who was having prayer meetings and brought us and got us a seat at the table. Old saying is, you're not at the you if you're not in the room, you're not in the deal. If you're not at the table, you're not in the deal. Trump took you and put you at the table. And he was not forgiven by the Republican aristocracy, the Good old Boys Club, or the Democrats because he violated a fundamental rule, And that is that they make believe that they're representing you when they're actually representing their own elite interests. Cyrus comes and here's a picture of the church. The walls of Jericho went down. Do you know the number one best-selling book that was on the, on the table at the time when Trump was running against Hillary Clinton? I like, I like uh, Brother uh, Khan and his uh, Harbinger book. I just met him recently, great guy, I'm gonna tell you something. All that I had, all we had was a prediction of America under judgment and where it was going and how come it was gonna happen. One million believers made that book a bestseller. We had more faith for judgment on America than for Cyrus to deliver it. So not surprisingly, when the walls of Jericho come down, nobody knew what to do. We just stood there. God opens up the gates of influence. You can run through the gate. A progressive knows exactly what to do. They're not even in power and they knew what to do. They weren't even in charge of Congress and they knew. Impeach him. Create Russia. Do something. Take Len out. Take this guy. Boom. Not even in power. And they took over the legislative process. Meanwhile, the church, all the walls are down. Trump's there. Hey, come on over. We didn't do anything except sit down and do tweet critiques. So, let's be honest about it. The Calvinists of what Bill said earlier made me think. Bill Federer talked about the Calvinistic influence in the body of Christ. How Calvin, certainly with Geneva, they had an idea that God has, of this Bible has a, uh, an application of wisdom that applies to everything, economics, family, government, There's there's a wisdom aspect in here that you can apply to virtually every part of governing. God's word covers everything pertaining unto life. So the Calvinists would try to systematize it and find the structure and the coherence in it. And uh, so there's government and there's family and there's an order and things and they would work on that. But uh, it became lifeless, as he said. It's interesting. The Pietist movement, the Great Awakenings, were largely mystic experiences. People encountering God, awakening to the reality of Christ. And so it created this Pietist movement. But the Pietism never properly embraced the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. For the most part, our tribe, our people, our, it's a spiritual problem. We tend to think that we should shy away from the systems of this world rather than go into them and influence them. And as a result, we get a self-fulfilled prophecy. We don't go in and they get worse and we're convinced it's the end time and it's time to go. So now we're at a different period of time, though, because we're here at the time when evil is rising. And we're realizing we might not get popped out of here. In fact, it may not even be God's will. That verse you said, Andrew, was a great verse. I have not heard that said before, and I'm sorry to say that I, I... it I was in Hosea, but it was, they have, they have made themselves kings, but not by me. Psalm 2, the rulers took counsel together. The rulers set themselves and took counsel together, meaning they put themselves in position and took counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. God isn't always in the outcome of the election. But what do you do when you're in a situation like we're in? So, so you, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned about Cyrus and you brought this back to me again you know what happens if, it, and the, the statement that he made is that there are certain books of the Bible that speak to certain periods of time that we should be looking at as being more relevant to where we are now in God's timeline than ever before. So for instance, when Cyrus comes along, the people of God were under siege in Babylon. When I saw BLM on the street laying siege to Trump Towers and laying siege to the Capitol, I saw BLM, and I immediately knew this is Babylon laying siege to the American system of government. Yeah, yeah. It's literally right there laying siege. It's, it's witchcraft prophetically making a statement in front of you saying, so I have the screenshot of the first iteration of Black Lives Matter before they raised their $150 million from shaking down corporations and nervous Christians. Their first screenshot is a pro-lesbian, anti-heterosexual, pro-queer alteration of the family mountain. That was their goal. A homosexual assault on heterosexual marriage. Issue number one for Black Lives Matter. It had nothing to do with Black Lives. It had to do with the definition of Christian marriage and changing it with an LGBT interpretation. That was the first issue. And it goes on from there and gets worse. Then the more money they collected, the more I took screenshots of them having to change their homepage. So they finally got a consultant that could present what people thought they were giving money to. Cyrus comes and this word Cyrus, I'm gonna say, well, let's just keep working with that. If Cyrus does equal Trump and it certainly equals it in certain ways, it came out for me to be accurate, not the least of which is he's the 45th president and it was Isaiah 45 when I started looking at this. Well, what he did with Israel putting the capital back in Jerusalem against everybody's wishes. That was clearly a, a, a gesture that was proving that God was raising him up for Israel's sake. But for the church's sake, yeah, the walls go down and he's willing to protect the church, advance the church and do whatever the church has the capacity. And catch this. If the church was able to occupy, Trump was willing to move as fast as America's movement was willing to back him. He said, is out of control. We should cut off all government funding for any school that won't give equal representation to faculty that are teaching conservative as well as socialist worldviews. He was willing to do it. He said it. Crickets, crickets. First meeting I was at with him in the Marriott Hotel when the, when the tide changed. of the 10% of the evangelical community was behind Trump. It went to 90% after one meeting in New York, a divine appointment with 1,300 or 1,400 influencers in the kingdom, church world. And Trump said, uh, they've taken away your right to speak about politics and to get involved with politics because of the so called Johnson Amendment. Not a sound. Then he goes on, they want to take away your right to own or possess a gun to defend yourself. Applause throughout the room. He made a note of that. In a room full of preachers, they didn't want the chastity belt of the Johnson Amendment taken from them because it would give them a responsibility to speak about things they'd rather avoid because of the Johnson Amendment. But here's the story. Cyrus comes, he releases the decree, go for it, tiger. And what happens? It takes years before the church gets its act together. He says, go build. And they said, who's going? It took like 12 years for them to get their act together to go? You read Ezra, it's an act of God. You you read it like it happened overnight. Well, here's the deal. You got uh, Zerubbabel. They're in in the land that's occupied uh, in Persia, Babylon. And he's now going down to little Israel over here. Now catch this. Here's a little word of warning. Only a remnant, a remnant of the people of God took advantage of the activity of God when God opened the door for a move of God. Let me say it again. A remnant, the Bible says, responded. And if you're one of those people that's waiting for your particular passion to be popular on TBN, don't wait till then because a remnant doesn't have the representation on national media. You have to create your own truth and liberty or your own war room on Real America's Voice. You You almost have to have your own comedy show. You have to create your own platform. You're the remnant. So the remnant goes down here and has to deal with rebuilding the house. You got it right, Richard. The house is the next step, the house of God. I've been stuck on this step because I'll tell you the sequence. If what we're, if what we're saying has any biblical parallel to it, like Jonathan Kahn does so great when he takes a book, he takes you through the sequences of history and then matches it up with Hillary Clinton and Bill and all that stuff. Well, here you go. Cyrus comes. I'm telling you, Cyrus is Trump. He comes and he opens the door for the house to be built. But the house only has a remnant responding to the call. So what happens? God has to send prophets to agitate the situation. Because the people of God are building what God wants. They're building what their ministry or their business is supposed to do as they see it, but they're not recognizing the hour or the situation or the urgency of the moment. God says, I'm about to send an economic shaking to your territory, the likes of which will get all your attention. Now, that shaking is meant to send you a message that you're not doing what I want you to do. How much shaking do you think the church in America has to go through before they get the collective awareness and raise their IQ to realize that God may not be happy with what the church is doing? We keep on seeing it as the Democrats need to be removed and the heathen need to repent when in fact it could be an analysis of us. The storm that overtook the ship that Jonah was on wasn't because all the heathen were going in the wrong direction. It's because the man of God was going in the wrong direction. So the prophets come and say, hey, all this shaking is because God wants something here in America that he doesn't have yet. He wants a church that is a glorious church, a church that is a representation of who he is. Well, all right. As they go to build the house that God wants, That's when they have the awakening. Suddenly the Spirit of God stirs up the remnant and they go to work in the face of opposition. But the word awakening actually shows up in the book of Haggai in reaction to the church realizing they better be building what God wants to deal with what the enemy is doing. And I'd say that's the spirit of awakening that we're in the midst of right now. When successful, when they built that house, by the way, it wasn't just an ordinary house. It was a governing house because the house that Jesus wanted was a house that was going to be built for prayers for all nations. It was a supernatural house. It was a house where the Shekinah glory of God resided behind the curtain of the veil in the temple. It was a house of God's supernatural governing presence in the midst of the nation. It wasn't a synagogue, it wasn't a local temple, it was the temple where the glory of God was to be behind the veil. Does that make sense? We're to be God's governing supernatural entity in the midst of our nation. But we don't think that way. Because we think about harvest, souls, antichrist, and rapture. There's your awakening. Your awakening's happening. What happens after the awakening? The books, by the way, that are relevant to this, Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, Esther, Haggai, and Zechariah. There's your key books. If you want to know what God's saying, start looking at those books. They're going to pop with prophecies for you all over the place. Because they're all the books that happen when the church of the Old Testament hit the moment of being regathered in the midst of a Babylonian attack to recover the territory God wanted them to get by sending a heathen into office to give them permission to go build what God wanted. So Cyrus comes. We got that present. We're doing our project over here, awakening. I'd say these three things are kind of like overlapping right now because after Cyrus, watch this, I'm not even going to go into the uh, Artaxerxes or the other names. I'm just going to say the next king, the next king that took Cyrus's place was antagonistic to the church. It's like King Biden. I'm, I'm serious. I'm amazed that the parallels are staring at us so obviously, but we don't even realize God's already talked about all this. This book is infinitely layered in its complexity and its elegance. The next king was hiring counselors against them, meaning IRS agents and lawyers. He was working with territorial captains, meaning the government on the payroll of the king to shut down the church. But they disobeyed. It's fortunate for them they disobeyed right as a new king came along. I don't know if it's King DeSantis or King Trump, but a new king comes. The point is, he smiles upon their endeavor and says, okay, seems to me you guys are finally getting at the thing God wanted you to do all along. Get moving. I'm giving you history according to the Bible. If I'm off, you tell me. We just heard Richard give the delineation right there. I'm just giving, here's the chronology. Trump, bad king, good king. House not being built properly, God letting distress and prophets agitated to getting its act together. Once they got their act together, we're gonna have to go back and see what kind of a governing church is God looking for. Because Richard, I'm not totally sold on the conclusion of what you said. I do believe that God's ultimate glory is manifest in Christ in you, the hope of glory, but God's preferred expression is people as living stones gathered together as a habitation of his spirit. God's ultimate exhibition isn't the individual overcomer, it's the overcoming bride. It's the collective body working together. God's ultimate goal is to bring new teams with apostolic anointing and prophetic acumen as a demonstration of what he's saying and doing. Those new teams are being formed. You might take a look around you for all you know, there could be a few stones you're going to end up working with. Because living stones have a tendency to move a lot. So the house, Cyrus, awakening, the awakening happens. What's the next step? What's the next thing in the, in the timeline? I'm talking the timeline here, people. The next thing in the timeline is, oh, Nehemiah comes and he builds walls and starts restoring gates. What the heck is that? That's the sequence. Cyrus, good king. Biden, bad king. Next king, good king. House getting built. House getting shaken. House getting its act together. House becoming a governing expression of the power and the glory of God. So much so, another phase kicks in. What's the next phase? Watch this. Here's the house of God, temple of God. Problem was, God's house was having revival and visitation and souls are being added to it. We're gonna be doing a meeting at the Hertz Arena, Mario and me, October 24th to 25th. We're just going out there by faith, believing that somehow the political populist moment and movement has to come together with an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a Billy Graham moment where unless Jesus is put back in priority, we're done. But we get, 20% of that arena which you are all rallying, you know, USA type people, get them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, we got a whole new threat against the devil. I can already hear the Christian nationalist anthem coming at us. (laughs) Nehemiah shows up, rebuilds the walls of the gates, right away your mind goes to the walls of the United States. Yes, of course, because that's a physical representation of a spiritual disorder. Proverbs 25 says, a man without self control, without the ability to govern himself, is like a city without walls broken into and plundered. America's sexual self indulgence, its spending orgies, its, its, its lascivious uh, uh, indulgence in every form, its, its idea of redefining freedom as a removal of every kind of moral inhibition, is a city without walls getting plundered right now. When Nehemiah shows up, The move of God's glory in the house has now created an environment conducive for the restoration of boundaries in the nation. Now, the boundaries and the gates become the object of warfare. I think the states become a natural exhibition of where the boundaries are formed in the United States. Florida and Texas. Everybody talks about Florida and Texas. Soon they'll be talking about Colorado that way. They're talking about that right now about uh, Arizona. Compared to Texas, you've got California, you've got New York. It's like sheep and goats. I was talking for a long time, I said, ultimately there's gonna be two kinds of nations in the earth, sheep nations and goat nations. And the defining difference between the two is how Christianity is influencing that territory. If Christians are influencing it, it's gonna be a sheep territory. Now you're starting to see that geographical expression happen. I could give you data and statistics about jobs, about, uh, about culture, about crime, and show you where Democrat-dominated culture exists, you have the devil manifesting a society in freefall and collapse. Where you have righteousness exalted, you see the blessing of God manifest in the institutions and in the culture, the prosperity and the protection of its people. But this ruling, this ruler moving with a house that is moving in government... Next phase is going to be walls. This is going to be the boundaries of the nation. What are the gates? I told you the other night, it has to do with gates of influence. That's why the seven mountains fascinates me. Who's controlling government? Who's controlling media? Who's controlling education? You may not be able to take care of it in Goatland, Cambridge, where Harvard and Yale is going to be, but maybe you can come down to your own backyard in Colorado and start targeting on purpose your own universities, colleges, and schools. Take what's manageable within your own walls and your own gates because the city walls are states before they're the nation. We get enough states moving together, we get enough believers moving together, we can start to break down the power of this this Leviathan that has taken over the US government. And part of that, I don't wanna get going on that, is this thing called Schedule F. It broke out a little while ago as a special authorization that Trump has or DeSantis or whoever goes in that they have the ability to take the three-letter agencies and begin to pare them down. FBI, the IRS, the DOJ. Schedule F means that the government has the, that these, the government never created a fourth branch of government, which is three-letter agencies that have their own police, their own their own Gestapo, their own laws, their own courts, and their own authority. Only the legislator has the authority to legislate. Yeah. Gorsuch wrote his thesis on this subject, which is why he was the ideal guy to put in the Supreme Court. His thesis is the three-letter agencies are, have moved beyond the definition of the boundaries of what the Constitution provides for the functioning of this government. Yeah. When we talk about the deep state, The administrative state, let's get really more precise, there's 3.5 million government employees that were never elected, they are feeding at the trough of the administrative state, they're dispersed among those three-letter agencies, they are their own inside system of government that puts up with an occasional politician because they will outlast them. They have to be taken apart. Nehemiah's got the walls and the gates. And why was that important? Because Jesus was gonna be visiting that city. Jesus was gonna start to be doing a greater outpouring. Jesus was gonna come into the city of Jerusalem and they have to prophetically, Daniel says, the walls and the gates will be rebuilt in a troublesome time. Daniel prophesied the walls will be rebuilt in a troublesome time. So all the prophets that are prophesying, it's all going to be some glorious change is going to happen, some mystical pixie dust outpouring is going to take place, and everyone's going to start to like each other, and Antifa's going to go away into the night, and it'll just be like a bad dream when you wake up. That's not realistic. The Bible said evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Why? Because I fully expect that the tares and the wheat are going to mature during this end-time harvest. I think darkness is going to get darker and I think righteous is going to get more righteous and we're in a contest right now to see who's going to dominate the future of the United States and I believe God has given us superior power, but we have not been mobilized coherently. There will be sheep nations. There will be goat nations. Now my question is, can you agree with the premise that I'm stating here, which is the Bible's already laid out history? It's already given us a timeline of what God intends. It isn't what's going to happen. It's what we have to obey to make manifest, Andrew. We have to do our part. But if we do our part, I've already got the blueprint in front of me. It's like God sits back and says, here's a pattern for you. If you guys want to know where things are going here. By the way, the war got real gnarly when Nehemiah had to deal with his problem. When he, when he gets down to the walls and to the gates, woo, it's a whole different level of warfare there. Then you find out that the, that the enemy was even in the church sanctuary in the treasury you'll find out how much government influence is in the pulpits. But let's not go there now. (laughs) Having said this, all right, we could all agree with that. My question is, what needs to exist that doesn't exist yet for us to go to the next level of what we've got to do? Through a practical question, it's an open question, it's an open discussion right now. Cooperation I hear from somebody who put their hand up and I didn't call on them. What needs to exist Unity. this is going to be a difficult class. Put your hand up if you want me to call on you <laughs> Unity, cooperation pre- all right I could see I could see that the terroristis model of the Bible school here is going to be a challenge for me. Let me see what we got. Yeah. Unity, courage, cooperation, media. Let me try this. I think you're right, but I think in the interest of time, I'm gonna reorganize my picture here. Let's say, well, did you get that? Didn't you take a picture of it before I erased it? I write everything on a board. They asked me if I needed two boards. I said, no. And And they laughed at me. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, so let, let, me, let me say this. What, what needs to exist is we have to have a more sustained pattern of public persuasion. This is what Wilberforce knew they had to have in order to defeat slavery. A sustained pattern of public persuasion, we can't just be talking to ourselves. That's why people say, now, Eric, I just got taken off of uh, YouTube, lost 220,000 people. You had the same thing happen to you. I don't know. I think Crowder got taken off, but he had a lawyer that got him back on. Did you try to get a lawyer to get you back on? So here's the situation. People come to me and they go, well, Lance, just go to Rumble. Now, here's the problem with that. See, you moved to rumble, now I'm talking to 100 people until I build up. It took me a while to get two, a quarter of a million people listening to me. So, I got, now I'm starting all over again. Uh, or on getter, or gab, or truth. We're talking to ourselves. I don't have any interest in talking to myself. I wanna to talk to myself. I already talk to myself, I pray in tongues all the time. A sustained pattern of public persuasion Means that it's like Media Matters. You ever see Media Matters? You guys are already, you guys do the advanced class on this stuff. You've seen the montages they put on where they'll all be saying the same stupid thing like drones. We're in a constitutional crisis. Meanwhile, a constitutional crisis. We're in a constitutional crisis. It's a constitutional crisis. They're told what to say. Civil War, civil war, civil war, civil war, civil war, insurrection, 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 January 6th, January 6th, insurrection, insurrection, civil war. Somehow, We need to create an echo chamber where what God wants to say is said. Right? I don't know how it's going to happen, but we can start to pray for these things to take place. Now, I know some people, I know some people that own the platform, so maybe maybe it comes down to some Christian leaders that have the big media platforms, having a come to Jesus meeting and realize they better start supporting the same narrative because they're coming after us. But we need, when you say unity and blah, blah, and media, yeah, we need influence. What that means is we better have what God is saying and we ought to be saying the same thing. Because the goal is a sustained pattern of public persuasion, not conspiracy persuasion. Not us talking to each other about what the devil's doing in Washington. So the echo chamber has to exist. That's one thing. All you intercessors, make this a priority. Get this done by the next meeting, please. <laughs> Second thing, I think that we got we to actually start make our local targets. The devil could care less. A senator, Gra- Lindsey Graham, could care less what you write on his post on Facebook. All these guys care about is what you do in their backyard when it's time for them to get elected. So what you have to do is you have to realize local targets, you have to think very local, the schools and uh, and the county offices, including sheriffs, judges, county commissioners, city planners, etc. cetera, uh, the schools, uh, the precinct is what I'm talking about. See, so, so I'm suggesting it gets very practical. It's not very romantic right now, it's very practical. This stuff's more important than your passion about you know, what's in the vaccine. And that's great, I'm all excited about the vaccine. I do these Clay Clark events, people are all passionate about the, you know, Yuri Hanani, you know, Havani, and what he wants to do with Davos and be vaxxing everybody and creating a one world government. I get that. If you wanna have layers of anxiety, keep looking at that stuff. But what can you do locally? <laughs> what, what you do locally dismantles and casts out a devil. So we have to start looking at our local targets. But in order for that to happen, I'm gonna say we better start to recognize at a national level what organizations are the best at doing these things so we're building building with scalability. Does that make sense, Billy? If you're doing a business model, you wanna have scalability. Some organizations are meant just for Colorado. We should be in Colorado getting behind that parent-teacher's thing in Colorado, right? You don't need a national organization. Here's the weird thing about conservatives. Like churches. You'd think they'd work together. But they end up competing with each other. Do you know what would change that? Well, if the leaders would rise above that and come together in real apostolic anointing and work together... But I'll tell you how the left does it. How does the left do it? They don't got Holy Ghost-filled leaders. What they do is the donors meet. And the donors, here's something you can pray for. They have a thing called Democracy Alliance. You don't hear about it, but uh, that's because they don't want you to know about it. They've got a legal team. They've got their uh, environmentalists. They've got their race people. They've got their immigration people. They've got their uh, LGBTQ people. They've got 16 different activist organizations that all are working in an extraordinarily efficient way with the devil to dismantle America. But they make them work together. You know how come? Because the lawyers and the organizations and the legal team work with their media organizations and they only fund those participants that play together to help each other. So now when they blow the whistle to attack somebody in Colorado. You'll see the strangest alliance from Antifa to BLM. What do they got in common? Nothing except they're funded by the same donor. So the money organizes the expression. So what do we got to do? Well, maybe we got to talk to the marketplace leadership in the body of Christ more directly and say, so you need to get behind your pastor, your pastor's getting beat up, he's got a tough enough job, but we're, we're requiring of him the extraordinary. We're gonna give him talking points. Right now, I'm in the process, this is point number three, what to say. We're in the process of, you know, David Barton has material, frankly. Uh, Tony Perkins has material, two different organizations, classic, great conservative guys with their own database, their own donors, but we're starting to get our act together. I'm challenging the donors to start to work together. And I'm getting together all of the organizations that are national and saying, why are you funding these guys separately to do the same job when you could fund one of them and they could work together? Does that make sense? Or split it between the two and they must cooperate. Otherwise, you've got really stupid things. You've got the Family Research Council with a bus promoting a candidate that's the exact opposite of who a bunch of Christian donors are trying to get elected that's a Christian locally, and you've got our organization competing with our people. You don't think it happens? More often than you know. So I say, we need to know what to say, and what we have to have is, for pastors... We need to be providing them with the PowerPoints and the material, kind of like William Federer does. Give them the resources to be able to make a great presentation of their own church. Give them the PowerPoint and give them the notes. Does that make sense? And make sure that you have enough so that every Christian pulpit in America can have it. But then we need to be going to work with the business people, the people that tithe and fund their churches and make sure that they're in that same project, encouraging the pastor to be courageous, because if the business people don't stand with the pastor, you're putting more on him than he should have to deal with. Everybody's always bold with somebody else's bank account. You gotta think about this. It's that man's life, they they come up to me, well, Lance, take a stand, don't put up with it. Yeah, okay, take 200,000 here, 700,000 here. Before you know it, I don't even have a company anymore. So I have to really be thinking strategic. When I'm going up against the government, I got 10,000 people, they got 100,000. I don't necessarily want to go to war with them right now. I'm trying to figure out how can I beat them without having to be confrontational. And that isn't always easy. Ask uh, John the Baptist. So let's go over this again. The pattern's over there, or was over there. (laughs) Sustained pattern of public persuasion we need to create an echo chamber. How do we do that? We're probably going to have to have the media influencers, Christian influencers to gather together. If we have that, Mike Flynn made a comment to me, General Flynn, he said, what we need is a committee of correspondence. Who knows what the committee of correspondence is? Committee of Correspondence, if I'm not mistaken, was in colonial times. It was the leaders within Massachusetts or the various colonies that took it upon themselves to communicate between what was going on nationally and what was going on locally so that they were able to align themselves together. In other words, they were responsible. How would you you say Richard? Was that pretty pretty much accurate? They were responsible for coordinating and communicating the battle at their own state level. So the Committee of Correspondence had people in Massachusetts that would be coordinating with the national battle against King George, but breaking it down locally so that they understood what was going on. We need this Committee of Correspondence. We need a sustained pattern of public persuasion. We're in a battle for America. And what they're saying out there is crazy. Biden's saying, he's so bad, the good news is most of the secular left, didn't even cover fully his speech. They did reference to it. They talked a little bit about it, but they didn't cover it, meaning they didn't broadcast it. You know why? Even they know it was crazy. (laughs) Local targets. We have to break this thing down to what do you have authority over at a local level? Part of the problem with the prophets right now, I'm going to tell you preemptively where things are going to get a little weird. When prophets prophesy beyond the sphere that God gave them, they get themselves in trouble. So... Most prophets should be prophesying within the measure God gave them. And that would be local, it would be personal, that would be within a sphere that they have a covenant relationship. You start prophesying on a global level for governments and economics, you better be authorized because you might just be swinging beyond your authorization. And that creates confusion in the body of Christ. Because then when God actually speaks, it sounds contradictory to what people are expecting. Now your expectation isn't aligned with reality. Local targets, we have to start thinking within the measure of authority we've got. The schools, low-hanging fruit, county offices, precincts, we have to start moving in that direction. And then we need to take a look at what organizations are national, what organizations are local, but it takes money, we're gonna need help. So Mario, if we do something like in the Hertz Arena, we have a big meeting, we do a great meeting, we have to figure out what are the local organizations that we can present at a meeting with 5, 6, 7, 8,000 people where they can be on the platform, they could be heard, people can break out and go to that schoolroom, go to that, because these are the real heroes that don't have a platform. Does that make sense? All right. And then uh, I'm saying that we need to have a new financing model. And part of that is we need to start to have the funding that's supporting the unity of the spirit. I think that's probably what this organization does best. The funding is transparently working for the purpose of transforming what's going on in America but Colorado is the test case. This is where the devil chose to mess up a state. Put the billionaires together with the lawyers and the activists in order to tear apart the state while men slept, an enemy came in and tore the state up. Now the body of Christ is awake and pushing back. This becomes a model for other states. This becomes a blueprint for other states. Does that make sense? So that's why what you're doing is so critically important. But some organizations are national. Some organizations are local. We need to start to vet who we're working with locally. And our events need to be populist gatherings that are, that are mobilizing the political and governmental potential of changing America and infusing it with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen?
2: Amen? Amen. Amen.
0: the lord wow lance that uh actually has a lot of hope in it you know i love it that is amazing so glad you're here next up we're going to do another strategic partner spotlight for you guys somebody said to me about last year's truth and liberty conference that it was awesome and great but she was felt like we didn't give enough opportunity for people to to respond to act on what we were saying So these strategic partner spotlights so that we're doing is part of our effort to do that. And uh, the next one that that is coming up is especially important for that purpose. We wanna talk now about culture impact teams and especially the culture impact team that's at Church for All Nations in Colorado Springs. And I wanna ask Pastor Mark Cowart and Ken Davis to come up. You've already met Pastor Mark. Let me tell you about Ken Davis. Ken is the uh, current leader of the CIT at March Church. He uh, uh, is actually the second, should I say the heir of that or whatever, but the first leader of the CIT was Dave and Marion Riffle. I think they were here. Are you guys still here? There you are. Um, amazing job they did setting that up, laying a pattern, getting it going. It's, it's incredibly influential uh, in Colorado Springs and even throughout the state now. As uh, you guys are bringing, you're you're holding uh, candidate forums, you're presenting uh, guest speakers on everything from vaccines to, uh, you know, voter integrity, and it's become a real powerhouse. And it's really not
3: that old, is it, Pastor Mark? A a few years, but you're doing a great work. So, why don't you share with us? Well, I have to say this. I asked Andrew today, did Richard step in a phone booth before he got up to speak today? (laughs) going to have to start wearing asbestos suits. Just ate my Wheaties, that's all. (laughs) I appreciate Richard so much. It's a joy. How many of you appreciate what is going on? This is supernatural at this conference here. People could not put this together, but I have to say this. We would not be here if it were not for Andrew and Jamie. Amen, amen. Speaking up, being bold and being strong. Thank you all. So the culture impact team, um, so FRC, Family Research Council, used to have the uh, Watchmen on the Wall Conference in Washington, D.C. So I would go out to that, and one year I got the three-ring, five-inch binder, and it was on culture impact teams. So I got a hold of that, brought it back, and basically what it is, it's mobilizing the people in... The congregation that have a passion for what's going on—they're concerned—and and and churches are the seedbed It's the sleeping giant. In fact, Richard. Everything you taught this morning, the culture impact team, I think, is the key to turning that giant loose on this nation. And uh, giving credit where credits due, Dave and Marion Riffle over there, Caris uh, graduates. He was uh, a practical, practical government school coordinator, Richard and I. When Richard got pulled to truth and liberty, that was very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. I think we were very comfortable and enjoyed it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you going to do? How are we going? And Dave became the coordinator. And uh, But I have to say this about Church for All Nations. Ken Davis here uh, leads the team. And Amen. amen. In fact, our, our largest, most successful life group in Church for All Nations is a life group on the Constitution. And how many people have you had
2: go through it? Well, at this point, roughly 1,400 since
3: 2012. Yeah, so that's in the church. And uh, Dave and Marion Riffle, I love them so much. I hated that they moved back to Michigan, uh, but they took the team to success there and uh, i believe this is the key to the nation so here's my first thing i'm going to let ken talk uh, the first thing i say to a pastor is the last thing you need is something else on your plate yes. so all you have to do to have a successful culture impact team i believe is get the right people in the right place doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason and Dave and Marion took that to a whole new level. So the pastor, his his thing is, he's gotta bless it and encourage it from the pulpit. You can't, there are pastors that have started these and shut them down because then they saw what this is gonna begin to do because it will create no small stir. But Ken, uh, you can tell about the forums and the different things, it's just awesome for me as a pastor because you don't have to motivate the people. The people in America are waiting for their pastor to bless them, turn them loose, let them go. There's so much power in the church. And if the pastor will bless it, it will become something that unleashes an amazing, exactly what you're talking about today, Richard.
2: All right, let me start by saying, hello. All right, so uh, I am what they would call a Christian nationalist. Now, all right let's be clear, EW and I are about the only two people who can get away with saying that, I'll let you figure out why, I'll let you figure out why, uh, hey, matter of fact please edit that, I don't, I don't need to put any more pressure on EW, uh, <laughs> he doesn't need to get any more, uh, any more hate mail. So. Uh, what we've been able to do is we've been able to bring, uh, different community leaders and, and understand that a culture impact team, the goal is to really focus. I love the fact that we get to follow how Lance ended, uh, because we really focus at a local and state level. Okay. Uh, so if you can bring that scripture up, uh, Ephesians 4:10 through 12. And so we, we focus at a local level. So as you read the scripture, that does not look right. That doesn't look right. Go to 11. Help me out. I don't think that's the correct scripture. Uh, so we're, we're actually, the, the scripture, thankfully, I was prepared. I, I work with businesses and, and we always say, don't trust their technology. Thank you. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So let me ask you, what is the job of the church, the local church? Who can tell them what the job of the local church is? Equipping, equipping and or another word would be training. So let me ask, you, how many pastors are in the room? pastors raise your hand we don't have enough pastors here we need to fix that for next year all right so so pastors how many of you every sunday operate in what we call the fivefold? how many of you operate in every none not a one no okay a well-functioning church has the five-fold operate in operation right And the goal is to equip or train the believer to go out, in in essence, to make disciples. But we're not not equipping the body properly when it comes to, and I'm gonna focus on the mountain of government. Because the truth is right now, the mountain of government has its tentacles in all the other six mountains. Am Am I correct? Right, what, what happened when COVID hit? What'd they tell churches to do? What about education? Was that affected? Yes. Family? Yes. All this, they, 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 the, the enemy went full bore once COVID hit, went full bore, and he's using the government to reach into all these tentacles, or, or just reaching all the other mountains. And so what we do is we bring in speakers, uh, local community leaders, uh, and we have them equip the saints as much as we can, and we provide information on what's happening we We direct the saints, we tell them, "Hey, hey, go here, hey, make sure you show up to this school board meeting uh, let's all get together and go go up to the capitol and 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 protest or testify, uh, do all these things now now do so uh, in the spirit of Christ, right don't go up there with your uh, we hate." Insert whatever words you want to put there. Uh, don't don't do those things because yes, we love, but the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take the violent take it by force. We are not uh, to be this this uh, weeping willow. And so I really want I wanted to end on this as we are watching all these things occur in our nation, in our cities, in our states. What organism? We watched the presentation earlier, correct, on 9-11? And there was a gentleman named Wells. What did he do? He ran back into a burning building. Family, our nation's a burning building. And what other organism is best equipped with the living word and the living water to go in and quench the fire of this burning building? I'd I'd have to say it's us. And this place should be packed right now, so bring a friend next year.
3: Let me say this, too, real quick. Uh, So what we are out to do at Church for All Nations is to serve, and uh, on our website, and Dave and Marion were so good about this, we will do anything. Pastors Todd and Kelly Hudnall right here, awesome. Pastors at Radiant Church in Colorado Springs, they're starting, uh, have started, I believe, already, Culture Impacting Legacy Church. I saw Jeff a while ago. Uh, They're going with it right now,
2: but I believe this is the secret. Actually up here, uh, Victory Church here in Lynn Park. Is that correct? Victory Church is also looking. So So they're starting to happen. We will help serve whatever way we can.
3: Richard, you said it was on the website. Yeah, so uh, on truthandliberty.net,
0: under our resources, we have links on there for Culture Impact Team. Now FRC calls it Community Impact Team, so you might see a different label there. Same thing though, and all the links you need for all the information and all the manuals and packets and everything else. It's actually not that complicated, but it's all on there, including links to your own program that Dave and Marion helped set up. So if you want to look at how uh, CFAN does it, it's all right there on truthandliberty.net slash resources, I think.
3: And and you've all heard this. We hate paying for the same real estate twice. So we'll tell you every mistake we've ever made. So you don't have to do that. And uh, anything we can do to help you, but the websites there will do that.
2: So yeah, we've only made a few mistakes.
3: Oh, Lord, you don't have time this morning. All right.
2: Thank you. Thank you,
3: Thank you, Ken.
0: Praise the Lord.